Thanks for joining us as a listener to our Hidden Kingdom podcast. With each episode, I'll be talking to speakers, poets, songwriters, artists, entrepreneurs, and friends I've made down through the years as a worship leader, hearing their stories and how they communicate in their various spheres of influence. These are conversations to inspire us to think more deeply and more imaginatively about how we use our own gifting to make known facets of the hidden kingdom to the modern world. In this edition, I'm delighted to be joined by Ray Hughes. Hailing from Kentucky but living in Louisiana near the famous Muscle Shoals studio, Ray is very much in demand across the world as a communicator and encourager for people to pursue creativity, particularly in the realm of Christian worship. The author of several books, he speaks, sings and writes poetry. He's a wordsmith and a tunesmith, and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. So it's great. I've got Ray Hughes here, and uh, well, I've just been part of a really special uh, time with uh, songwriters where we've been uh, hearing from Ray, and he's been inspiring people from all sorts of traditions. And really great to have the opportunity. Thank you, Ray, for spending the time to be able to chat on this Hidden Kingdom yeah, series. I love it. I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else today. Well, one of the things I really enjoy about you know, what you bring is you bring the bigger picture. Because a lot of musicians, they take up music, perhaps from a church background or perhaps they become Christians, but they immediately go through this funnel of being a worship leader on a Sunday morning. And I love, there's a statement you use actually, uh, some songs are never meant uh, for Sunday morning. Yeah. And I think yeah. the creative is, is something that really is you, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah we, you know, we don't live our lives our lives are not fully expressed in that one hour on Sunday mm. that we go into a building somewhere with a group of people around us. At best, sometimes we can just cocoon ourselves into our own personalities on our row and, yeah. and try to be in an atmosphere like that and feel like that we've done all that we were created to do as worshipers. Yeah. You know, worship is a 24-7 reality yeah. that's born out of a lifestyle rather yeah. than the limitations of a of a church service as wonderful as they can be yeah, yeah. and as impacting as yeah. they can be. That's not who we are. But that, that coat is of many colors, isn't it? Yeah. Know? And yeah. there's many reflections and many ways of expressing that creativity. And you are a very creative person. I mean, you speak very eloquently, you write poetry, you write songs. Mm. How do it all start for you? Um, I mean, you've got a great story, I know, concerning the, the, the Colonel, which I'm interested <laughs> to hear. <laughs> Well, it started for me when I didn't know it was started. Mm. Um, you know, I thought once I, you know, came into a relationship with the Lord, you know, and I started on this journey of ministry, which was uh, soon be 49 years ago. Um, I left a little, uh, you know, speed trap town in Kentucky and, <laughs> and uh, headed off into the world as clumsy as it was. Yet I, I knew that I was, I was uh, not called to ministry as much as I was created to do something bigger than uh, than that speed trap town. Yeah, and uh, you know when you're young, you, you got all those dreams that you know kind of be, the dream itself becomes your destiny on yeah. some level. But I took off, and uh, um, and now 49 years later, uh, I, I got to say that 
I've had encounters with the Lord all my life, but I didn't give my heart to him until I was was saved at a, at a rock and roll dance in my hometown. Really? Rock and roll dance? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was during the Jesus Movement in mm. 1971. Okay. And uh, I went out to this, we were having a dance, you know, rock and roll band was playing out at the National Guard Armory. Yep. And I went in and, uh, and a, a guy that I knew started telling me about what Jesus had done in his life. Mm. And in a few minutes from that, I also wound up, uh, you know, hearing, not, that's, uh, not just hearing, but I heard, mm. you know, uh, God's love for me in that moment. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's that click, that revelation. Yeah, and yeah. I wound up in the, in the middle of, uh, in the puddle of beer in the, in the floor. I prayed my first prayer in the middle of a song called Inagata de Villa. <laughs> lights flashing the band blaring you know sound like stomping dinosaurs in the yeah. room and there's you yeah. in the middle and there i was over over in the corner in a puddle of beer giving my heart to jesus and i uh, left out of there and uh, the next week in school i started telling everybody what had happened and uh, to say the rest is history is is well no the history's still moving on yeah yeah, yeah. but you you took you did you play the guitar before that? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I, of course. I'm from Kentucky. Yeah, you can't live in Kentucky yeah. and not play guitar when you're a kid. Yeah, they they will uh, excommunicate you for uh, wonder if you're really part of the family if you don't uh, <laughs> if you don't have music in you. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, plus, you know, because Kentucky's South, it really is a musical culture, yeah, and the reason yeah. is is because they're all Scots, Irish, Welsh, and English, and all that. That is a wellspring. That is oh, a yeah. real fusion there. And there, yeah. there, I mean, of course, there are many similarities in the music style yeah. as well. And you share with me a real appreciation and interest in vintage guitars. Oh, yeah. I mean, even on our way here through the corridor, you, you spotted a, a Loudon guitar, which, of course, isn't vintage, but, yeah. you know, you were there looking at it That's and right. uh, appreciating it just like I was. Yep. Uh, there's something about the originality of the sound of the guitar, which is very, everyone is unique. Yeah. And uh, yeah. of course, that's, that's us as well, isn't it? You know, we're all, yeah. we're all unique. But tell us about the Colonel then. Oh, well, you know, when I, when I had only been saved for about a year or so, and I was traveling from church to church. The first, I mean, the first time I went to church, I yeah. was the speaker. Yeah. Because it was, like I said, it's during the Jesus movement, and I went there to, to, to give my testimony. Yeah. They asked me if I would come. So I did, yeah. And then the next week, somebody else wanted me to come. The next week, and so I'm a 16-year-old kid, and all of a sudden, I'm telling people what Jesus had done, and it's causing such an impact on their life that uh, I never stopped. Yeah. I went back in, uh, the next week, uh, next week or two, I, I quit school, yeah. because they told me that Jesus is coming soon, well, if Jesus is coming Thursday, I'm not going to need algebra, right? And so I gave my I gave my heart and my passion came alive as to just seeing people give their heart to the Lord and their lives change like mine had. Yeah. And so about a year into this, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. At a at a at a Evangel Tabernacle. Yeah. And uh, and this pastor there, his name is W. L. Rogers. He would always say. Well, now say, you know, he had this incredible love in his heart. And he was one of those folks who had a thousand people in the church. But at any time, like if I walked into the room, I knew immediately that I was the most important person in his life. Uh -huh. 
he carried so much love no matter and i thought i was special yeah but every person that ever walked into the room with him felt that specialness yeah that is a gift isn't it that's yeah. a gift that's yeah. a shepherd's heart mm. and he used to i was kind of the token hippie hillbilly mm -hmm. hippie right mm -hmm. and so i would be there and he would uh, walk up on the platform and say, say young man come on up and sing a song for us and i always he said never come to church now without your guitar <sighs> And so I'd carry my guitar, I'd go up on the, and they'd, the mics would be set sometimes before I even get there. Yeah. And so I would do a song. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and so he, he then, then one Sunday, I'm getting finished with the song, and this strange guy comes walking up beside of me and Pastor W.L. Rogers. And he said, this guy said, uh, Pastor, Brother Preacher, I want this young man right here to sing every time I give my testimony at these business meetings. That's full gospel businessmen meetings back in those days. Yeah. And he said, I want this young man to sing. I want him to sing these two songs. And I, well, I didn't really realize the weightiness of what was happening because yeah. this was, but it turns out this is Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Kentucky Fried Chicken the Colonel Sanders. <laughs> the Colonel with the secret recipe. <laughs> Man, that is some some story to have in your locker. That really oh, is. Oh yeah, and, and then and so my job then, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a big long career, but for that whole summer, if he would be speaking at anywhere, I, Brother Rogers would call me. He says, "Now say now, you need to go over it," and I would. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I'd go to, and it, and it was just one yeah. of those things that happened. You know? But that's kind of interesting because you know I come from from London, obviously, as you yeah. hear from my accent, and uh, East London. Makes me a real Cockney, which is a special, you know, accent. In, in, mm -hmm. You're getting the refined one right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't come from any religious background. Yeah. And, uh, but then as a young guy, probably the same sort of age, because we are, I think, a yeah. similar age, uh, found God in a powerful way for me and started to, to write songs. And I had a young, I had a, a guy, you call him prophetic, you know n nowadays no, but uh, he was a storyteller he was a prophet and he would ask me to go with him and he would speak and i would i would sing yeah. and that's where i really cut my teeth and that's yeah. where we start isn't it yeah learning from that next generation yeah. and letting it sink into us yeah uh, and, and you know what even before i was saved i knew i, I, I didn't necessarily mentally process it i don't believe yeah. but i was raised in a storytelling culture that's it yeah. And a story, and to me, a storyteller is just a guardian of memories. Yeah. And I learned young to guard the memories of my grandfather. Yeah. And my father, and so on. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's there's this little piece of writing that, that uh, after all the years, I, uh, just a few years ago, I was looking back and 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 honoring and valuing the time that I have spent in, in Garrett on Garrett's Creek, yeah. in a little holler in Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, and we say holler. In Kentucky, but in that holler in Kentucky, I learned much of the value systems that would shape my future. Sitting beside of my grandpa on the porch, right, right. and I, and I actually I wrote this little piece, this little short thing that kind of, yeah. you know, it's, it was. Now I look back and see that it was the days that I was learning to listen. Yeah, you know, but it just uh, and my grandpa was a big old man, and. Uh, uh, he, but this writing says, Gram Grandpa was unaware. He was unaware of how long I stared at his big hands and marveled at how they rested one on the other as they balanced on top of his hickory cane. And he was unaware of how safe I felt 
sitting beside him in the shade on the porch. He was unaware of the many questions that I wanted to ask, but I never did because I honored his silence when his eyes were closed. And he was unaware of how much it meant to me the day that I got to walk all the way to the spring and back with his bone-handled pocket knife in my pocket. And he was unaware of the sadness and the pride that I felt as a five-year-old little boy when I had to return it to him unharmed and well taken care of. Well, today that old porch is gone, and he is gone, but I've never been more aware. Wow. And I, I learned to listen sitting in the presence of one yeah. that was not, he was not even an educated man, so it wasn't about deeper thoughts. It was about deeper silences. Yeah. And I got to learn the value of those yeah, deeper silences. Yeah. And all I really knew about him as I was growing up is Grandpa was the strongest man in the world, yeah. and I loved him, yeah. and he loved me. So I knew I was protected in his presence. And that's one of the things that I that I, I today I value in ways that I yeah. didn't didn't even really yeah. know that I valued until you start using your creative process right. for what purpose to process your life. Yeah. I'm a songwriter. Yeah. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. So as soon as I begin to put that to paper or put that to melody, I realize the value of it. That's right. That's so, right. Song when you're writing a song. You're actually not just writing a song. You're actually processing your experience. Yeah. And yeah. you're saying, this is me. Yeah. I love that. I mean, the whole thing. Uh, beautiful. Very, very meaningful. Grandpa was unaware. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we talk about mentoring others, uh, we can get into this framework where we try too hard uh, yeah. and we, 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 we kind of put on a posture of trying to mentor people instead of just being who we are. And I find so many people come up to me and say, that thing you said yeah. in such and such, it really spe- I can't remember what it was. Yeah. That thing you said, I'm unaware. And yeah. God often does that, doesn't he? He yeah. uses us just being unaware. Yeah. And you write that thing and you process it. It's wonderful. Now, you became a professional songwriter, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was in Nashville. And, and you know, I've written, um, I've written over 1,000 over songs, 1,000 wow. to 1,200 songs. That sounds really impressive, but only two of them were any good. <laughs> uh, you only need two. Uh, only, or, or one. In yeah. one right? yeah. And tell uh, us what one, style right? would they be in? What? Uh, well, you know, everybody, because of my accent, they think I'm going to be a country singer. Yeah. But I, I, I'm, I'm a folk singer. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, you know, I, I never did, I, I did some of the thing way back in the day where you play in clubs and, and singing country music because that's the atmosphere that you, that you Created in the South in yeah. those places, but I'm, uh, and I and I value and, uh, and appreciate the earthiness of country music, but not necessarily the version of that that we have today. Mm-hmm. That's it's a very, a mm-hmm. very different thing now. It's it's so hybrid and cross pollinated yeah, by precious. so many cultural expressions yeah. that it's really not country yeah. music. It's yeah, the, yeah. not the music of the people any, mm-hmm. anymore, really. You know, and uh, it, it's it's become something else. But uh, yeah, I, I was a uh, songwriter, uh, uh, and um, and uh, it was uh, quite a, quite a journey, quite mm. a season in my life mm. that never did go away because you don't write because it's your job. You no. write because you're a writer. You have to. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's right. And uh, what yeah. what do writers do? Write. Yeah. There's a lot of people, and and you know, there's another thing when you go through those seasons where you feel like the well's gone dry. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I have a friend, I asked him one time, I said, well, what do you do when the well goes dry? He said, well, I, I write a song about the well going dry. <laughs> That's it. The reason is, is because you, you write don't write. What's in front of you. Because yeah. it's something you do, you yeah. write because it's who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so if I'm not yeah. writing songs, I'm writing poetry. If I'm not writing yeah. poetry, I'm writing prose. If yeah. I'm, I write every day of my life. Yeah. I'm a that's, writer. That's like me, yeah. yeah. You used a phrase there, which I, I, I think it would be fascinating to expand on, the music of the people. Now, where you come from, your, your background, your heritage, that is it, the music of the people. And that this afternoon you were talking about how that communal experience yeah. is, has in some ways been siphoned off into a world of professionalism. Can you expand a bit about that? Yeah. Well, you know, back in the 20s, there was a thing that happened where these song catchers, musicologists from universities and Library of Congress and, and all this stuff in the, in the north, and uh, uh, would come down into the Appalachian Mountains on the search for these, these, the lost language of that people yeah. and their music. Mm. And in this pocket of isolation, pockets of isolation actually within the Appalachian culture, they found these songs that had not been heard, some of them uh, for 150, 200 years. Wow. And, and then they realized, wait, these are all the folk songs from England. These are the folk songs yep. from Ireland and Scotland, Scotland. and Wales, and, and uh, who had you know, really been pressed off because of military and poverty conditions and all kinds of famines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, often it comes out of oppression, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, any nation uh, w w can look at their history and see this incredible surge of creativity and music and song that always comes around war times. Yeah. But especially right after the war, while people are trying to rebuild their lives, mm -hmm. they're processing mm -hmm. their experience through mm -hmm. creativity and song again. Mm -hmm. There it is. Mm -hmm. And over there in the mountains, uh, you know, when they started discovering these songs, and some of them had been lost, altogether lost, but they were finding these that were family songs, passed from grandsons and grandmothers down, and uh, and the you know the the, the old uh, the lilting of the Irish mother, yeah. you know, even though a lot of times they didn't even know the lyric, mm -hmm. but they they knew the melody. The melody, and so very the, haunting, many of them. Yeah, yeah. and the, you know, the, and the, what became known as the high lonesome sound in those mountains. Yeah. The reason they sing that high lonesome sound is because they, those children were impacted by the sound of the mother singing while doing chores. Yeah. And so those old melodies from the homeland began to awaken who the child was. Mm. And it wasn't just about uh, teaching a melody, it was about so the mothers, while they're ironing and washing clothes and doing the things that they're doing, the child would always be able to hear the voice of the mother, which, not only get, which would not just give them uh, awareness of where she was, but it gave them identity of who they were. Yes. Because it's coming through the blood. Yes. And so that's the kind of environment that was in the Appalachian Mountains. Yes. Until these song catchers came down and started hearing these sounds, and it was like it gave a silent, isolated people a voice to be heard. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everybody stopped singing. And the reason they lost their song was is because now I can go by singing yeah. because it's the celebrity the yeah. and because of the music industry. Now, yeah. you can buy, go buy the record. You don't have to sing the record. Yeah. I should have written that song. They're singing my song. And, you know, so mm. we, we identify with those cultural expressions because they're singing our pain. Well, we'll, we'll let them sing it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So, but it is that family or familiarity that 
reminds us who we really are. That organic sound. I mean, you know, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, same thing. Um, I'd like to, I mean, there is English folk and I I love English folk music, but it hasn't quite got that profile that that, those other kinds of music, maybe because we weren't so much the oppressed. Maybe we were That's England, part of maybe it. we were more the oppressor. Yeah. But it calls something out of you. Uh, and I think, you know, this community, uh, I think when we're talking about worship, um, is a really important ingredient because we build our church yeah. buildings around the platform and the stage yeah. rather than it being yeah. a shared experience yeah. of singing to one another, yeah. uh, singing our heartaches, singing our blues, singing our stories. Um, as community, I mean, for me as a songwriter, a lot of the songs that I wrote in the early days came out of the community we were part of. Yeah. And people could resonate with them because they could think, this is me, this is me, it could be me singing it. It's yeah. my thoughts, it's my sounds, and we're yeah. affirming it. Now, there's something, you, you use a phrase, and it's a phrase that's used a great deal across the uh, sort of creative circle, new sound, mm-hmm. you know, a new song. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate on, on that, yeah. Ray? Well, it's a part of this. It's a part of what 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 could be misunderstood is like what was known as the redemption songs. After the years of on these lands over here, they had the years of the Psalter was the, yeah. the was the standard, and then redemption songs came in, and that was where those writers like uh, Isaac Watts, uh, mm. the, some of the old hymn writers like Fanny Crosby and Ira Sankey, and yeah. all those. It started bringing a very different approach to music and, and changed the world with it, really. Mm-hmm. It, it really did. Uh, but when, you, when I think of the new song or the new sound, I think we need to go back to get our definition. Uh, what I was just speaking of was a, a, a more modern musical culture that was born out of the experience of what was called the revival century, where uh, revivalists were being effective in yeah. shaping culture, like D.L. Moody led a million and a half people to the Lord. Incredible. You know, before radio, television, he didn't even, he didn't even have uh, Google. But, <laughs> you know, they didn't, have the, they didn't have those communication mechanisms. They yeah. had, had this amazing, wonderful thing that God was doing, and they walked it out with it in obedience. But if you want to look at this biblical understanding of new song or new sound, you go all the way back to Psalm 33, mm-hmm. where David implored them to sing unto the Lord a new song. Now, to sing is a Hebrew word, shira, to walk about as a strolling minstrel, ah, releasing the sound. Yeah. Imagine yeah. This, the strings on your guitar becoming an extension of, or an amplifier, or a magnifier of the intent in your heart. Yeah. So that is to sing a new song. New is a Hebrew word, kodash. Which, which is new, it means to rebuild, renew, repair, and restore. Mm. So there is actually a restorative thing that brings us, that can, that's a musical expression that can create an atmosphere that transforms us by the truth that's in that song that becomes our song. Okay. You know? Okay. And so there's a transformational thing according to scripture even the word itself is a transformational sound. Mm-hmm. We think of word being rhema, the quickened, or we think mm-hmm. of logos, the written. And when it's, logos is not the written. Logos is the sounded, uttered, declared. So you see the, uh, so David was really onto something. We had an understanding of melody and rhythm and, 
in, uh, in uh, the, the cadence that would awaken spirit, soul, and body. Dance, mm. you know. I mean, he was a dancing king. Yeah. And, and, and to dance is nothing, the purest definition of dance is just to sculpt the air and honor space. So he chose to express his heart in dance. Mm. And uh, so to, a new sound or a new song to me is us, this redemptive process that finds the real us. So it's not necessarily a new style. No. It's, it's a new song that, that is, 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 is part of us. Yeah. I, 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 think of a, I think of a musical style as being like a, the, 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 the leaves that grow on the tree right now. You know, there's fruit of so yep. many yesterdays that are producing something that's beautiful and, it's, and it can have, have impact and influence, mm. but it comes up and then that, that style will go on away, but the tree doesn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, that season that that was to be the expression, it's going to go on and go away. Yeah, yeah. But, but you just keep, you know. Replenishing. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, you know, you look at uh, much of the worship scene as it is at the moment, and a lot of it becomes very derivative. A copy yeah. of a copy of a copy. Yeah. And it gets weakened and weakened, like a tea bag we have in England. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you weaken it, you weaken it. In which I do agree, the best tea in the world. <laughs> <laughs> we love our tea. Yeah. Um, but it's finding what, what is you, unique about yeah. you. Yeah, the, the music world is kind of uh, given to, we, somebody does something that touches us and it looks in, uh, effective, well, we emulate. Mm. And then pretty soon we're, there are emulators emulating the emulators yeah. that are emulating the em emulators until we become imposters. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of, and I don't want to be the bad guy and be sound cruel or unkind, but there's a lot of imposter, cookie cutter, sameness that's going on. Mm. And I've always said that what happens so many times in the church is for, for safeness, what we do is we sink everyone to the lowest common denominator yeah. creatively, and we call that unity, but when in fact it's sameness, because yeah. sameness is safe. And yeah. we don't need safe music. No. We need full heart expression, life expression. And different expressions, you know, country, yeah. rock, yeah. Folk, yeah, blues. Blues, yeah. yeah. And blues is a good one because, you know, the Psalms is, is blues and it's joyful as well. Yeah. It's, it's the whole thing. Your appreciation of the Psalms is very, very deep. Um, you know, I've listened to you a number of times. You bring out all these verses and, you know, all the interpretations, yeah. the Hebrew and the, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it's a very powerful thing for you, these psalms. Tell us, tell us why. Yeah, well, well, when you start off with Psalm 1, the only way is, you know, you ever, uh, I'm going to have it in front of me. You're, oh, right, here's a Bible right yeah. here. Yeah, let me go oh, we've got a Gideon's one. one. Yeah, I've got a good old Gideon right here. <laughs> in the, you know, Gideon must have been a pretty good guy to yeah. write a Bible like this, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, it says, uh, Psalm 1, where they mm. all start, it, um, you know what? Mine's right here. If you have to edit this out, is this editable? Yeah, it's editable, but oh, no, we don't have to. Uh, right, yeah, right here, so. I can just flip mine open to it. You can. And uh, well, the it's reason a, the Psalms is so so rich to me in my life is for one, it was the language uh, of those creative um, imaginators, and uh, and uh, that were able to. Just imagine the wonder of God and break into song. Mm. I mean, that was very personal to people like David and Asaph and the sons of Korah and all those guys. 
But it starts off, even though this first psalm is an orphan psalm, which means no one really knows who wrote it. Mm. But it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly. And the word blessed there is a unique word. It's a Hebrew word that's called, it's the word Asher. So happy is what it's really saying. Mm. If you're going to find real happiness in life, it's going to be happy as a man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly. And it goes on down through there and it points out that his delight will be in the word and his delight mm. in the law of God. And so that happiness is going to be born out of this delight that we have for the truth. And it says his delight in the law of God and his law, and in that law he will meditate mm. day and night. Mm. A unique word, meditate, is dogal, which means to moan, to groan, to roar, to utter, to imagine and mutter. Yeah. So you're giving voice to the deepest part of who you are, yeah. and you're singing the, the influence of the word in your life. Yeah. So that, that, shouldn't our music... If we're created by the Creator to be creative, should not our worship also be creative because we're created to worship? Absolutely. These guys had an endless supply of truth, yeah. and, they, and David was writing seven songs a day. Seven songs a day. Seven times a day, break into a spontaneous song. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. And even when Saul's trying to kill him with a spear, I mean, he, hey, wait a minute. Don't somebody need to write a song here? <laughs> <laughs> and he would. Yeah. He would just, just pull away, steal away, and he would begin to meditate and murmur and groan even in the darkest nights. All of a sudden he would say, my enemies are trying to kill me. Death is upon me and oh me, poor yeah. me, oh me, oh no. But yet I will praise the Lord praise my the Lord. God yeah. and here would come the this, release. Yeah, it's incredible really when you think, you know, these are, are earthy, real tangible moments in a person's life. Yeah. He's writing out, the dark side, the shadow side, as well as the joyful side, you wouldn't. Even, I doubt if he would imagine that thousands of years later, people would be finding sustenance in in these words yeah. and, and comfort all through the different generations. Very, very powerful words. Are yeah, his for us. longing became lyric. Mm. Then his lyric would become the language of the people, and then that would become the liturgy, yeah. and the literature. And the literature, yeah. You know, well, mm. the, some of the greatest literary giants in, that ever lived, you know, many of them, most of them, I, I will say, th that really changed humanity were from England. Mm -hmm. uh, like some of those great old, Shakespeare reshaped language mm. of, the, of the whole earth. In yeah. And there's, I don't want to get into all that. There's no shortage of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, full of poetry. Poetry. Speaking Sorry. the word with such creativity that it changed his generation. Mm. And until this day, still the most published writer in the history of literature, Charles Spurgeon. And kind of an uneducated, yeah. you know, uh, a, a guy that had just had, had, a, had a capacity for wonder yeah. and preached from that place. Yeah. Changed the language of the church. Yeah, yeah. incredible. And the, the other thing about the Psalms is this connection with creation as well. Because I think there's, there's something very powerful. You know, the trees of the fields clap their hands, etc. Et yeah. There's something very powerful about us speaking and singing to creation, you know, yeah. as, as God's ambassadors. Yeah. Um, reawakening something. Maybe that's that, that new sound we're, we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when God, oh, God's sung to matter and it uh, that was without form and it was void. Yeah. But when he spoke the sound of his voice and sung into it, 
Uh, so uh, when he said light, mm -hmm. light became life, and matter, uh, uh, it became the, these wonderful mysteries of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a mystery. Yeah. To know how to sing a song in such a way to create a river. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. And in these days where we're thinking about the environment, you know, as songwriters, we need to be addressing uh, what we yeah. see before us. What do you see? Yeah. How do you interpret that? I mean, I think of Joni Mitchell's great, great song, Big Yellow Taxi. I mean, that was, that was an environmental song that grew out of a movement, the, the, uh, the, the Woodstock era. Uh, and she was talking about environmental issues uh, in, in the midst of that. And it was almost yeah. with a small p prophetic. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, yeah. and surely we, the challenge for us as uh, communicators, as songwriters, as storytellers, is to point to those things and draw them out and speak, speak life to them. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I know you visit uh, Wales, Scotland, Ireland uh, a great deal over the years. You, when yeah. did you first start? Uh, uh, 20 years ago, uh, first time to Ireland and in Wales, it was in Scotland. And... Uh, 22 years ago, actually, and um, and never never could get stopped. <laughs> yeah, 34 trips to Ireland now. Incredible. 34 Great. to Wales. For those of you who are listening, uh, you may not know, but Ray not only is someone who reaches out into the prophetic, but is someone who is a great historian. And uh, you have a great interest in things like the Welsh Revival, and mm -hmm. not just the, the well-known characters, but you dig a bit deeper to the, yeah. to the people under the yeah. surface. But, you know, I dig, I look for the Davids because mm. David was the overlooked, overshadowed, insignificant one mm. until uh, that, uh, till he was called in from the shepherd's field. Yeah. And the whole world changed mm. that day. And there's so many insignificant, overlooked, overshadowed ones that are in, even in our history. Yeah. But on some day and some occasion, they stood up out of their insignificance and changed the world. And then they, when they died, somehow they just wandered back into the hills of obscurity and they were gone. And what an indictment against us to dishonor yes. the memory of what God did. Because the Bible clearly tells us, David really is convincing over and over, remember his mighty acts and tell of his wondrous works. Mm. So for me, being a writer or a songwriter or a poet or whatever, it's, it's going to be about remembering, because I'm a storyteller. I'm going to yep. remember those mighty acts. Yep. And they're so compelling, so inspiring, mm. how they impacted their day. And, and we don't even know how much they influenced That's right. our day. Yeah. You know, impact to me is a strike. Mm -hmm. Impact. Mm. Percussive. Yep. But influence is like fluidity in that word. It's the flowing of that river that they set, set in motion. Yeah. And we, and we dance in that water and splash in yeah. that water yeah. and yeah. Don't, don't realize the price and the purity yeah. that set that water in motion. So really when you're going back into the history, you are appreciating the history, but you're also pointing towards people at something of the lineage of what people yeah. are born into, aren't you? Yeah. You're, you're, you're opening that up. You're saying, this is this person. You're honoring that person, but you're, you're 
tracing the river. And most, saying, uh, most of those cultures are the ones that are uh, devalued and yeah. stereotyped. And I mean, look, you know, if, if England were actually all, all of the stereotypes that people try to put around it, or if Ireland, the Irish people, or Scottish, Welsh, mm. you hear those stereotypes that are just, you know, almost just flung like a, a veil over them and you never really see the real them. Yeah. Uh, but when you start looking back at the, the beauty of what is in, the, in that blood and what God did all those generations ago, it changes the way you see humanity, yes, but it really changes the way you see God's desire to mm. honor covenant, prayers, prophecies, promises, bloodline mm. stuff. Mm. You, know, uh, 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 that, you know, that's what the upper room was about, Dave. Mm -hmm. When the sound came from heaven, a new sound from heaven, Immediately they started singing in these the tongues of their nations. That tells us that the upper room was about realigning bloodlines yeah. and calling those nations into their new sound, yeah. into their song. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, and, and where did that take place? In the upper room. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know what's in the... Uh, hillbilly deduction tells me if there's an upper room, there's a lower room. What's in the lower room? The tomb of David. So over David's bones, the song was born mm. uh, uh, for all of the nations to experience what they were created. Incredible. For. Yeah. Amazing. It yeah. is. A wondrous God. Yeah. And, we, and somehow we forget. If we forget our history, we, we forget our, we're leaving our identity. Yeah. yeah. Our identity, who we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to call this to a halt shortly, but um, there's a couple of things I just want to ask you. I want, to, I want you, you to tell us about your new series in a minute, about yeah. David's heart. But before that, for people listening, creative people, musicians, songwriters, just give us some nugget of something to, to, to kind of aim for. I mean, it's been a remarkable conversation we've had, but something just to stir, stir us, just a, a, a thought maybe, maybe Ray. Yeah. You know, we are uh, convinced by the world that we have to rise up and, 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 and be and do and all that. And pretty, and pretty soon what happens is, is we, we begin to live our lives out of the striving for success. But we really are not created for success. Mm -hmm. We're created for obedience. Yeah. And, you know, like Saul was an incredible success. But all the top while, this underlying failure. And the reason is, I think, is the, reason, the difference between David and Saul. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after a prestigious position and power. And, uh, and the, uh, the power of what is really in that picture is when both of them were flawed men. But when Saul sinned, he hardened his heart. When David sinned, it broke his heart. Mm. And so if we can live our lives little in our own eyes and find the song that's the truest us yeah. or the art that is the truest expression of us and process our life according to, uh, according to the, the truth that's alive in us. Yeah. I think, Fantastic. I think, I think that's the place wow. we've got to find in yeah, our lives. If we're otherwise, we're going to be a soul and we'll ultimately fall on our own sword. Yeah, and we're just doing a job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. We've got some tremendous nuggets of truth in this, this little session here. And I thank you, Ray, so much. I want you to tell us about your latest series, uh, David. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, his life is so multi-layered. 
and there's so many of the facets of his life we miss because most of the time you're in that one hour church service we're talking about and the preacher is going to preach on David. Well, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be either <laughs> David and Goliath. He kills the giant. Yeah. The little guy the hero, becomes the hero and, uh, and, and God uses the underdog or it's going to be Bathsheba. So mm -hmm. you got a, a giant and Bathsheba are the things that are. Yeah. But there's so much behind his life and so many little nuances in his relationship to who Jesus would one day become, who was the son of David or the song of David, was, was mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. coming to redeem all tribes, people's tongues into a right relationship of worship. So, it, you know, it's a beautiful picture of our lives if we want it if we're willing for it to go after it like he did, and he went after it with all of his heart. So what this series is, is called David, the Singer of Secrets. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I go into all of the layer after layer. Start, I start, actually start with the anointing that he would one day, that he would eventually walk in, came out of what happened with Hannah and then Samuel. And so I look at those parallels of, of, of Hannah, Samuel, and David versus... Saul, the giant, mm. and Eli. So, mm. and uh, and and it's not as uh, I mean, it, it's a it's been a wondrous journey to look at this one who was a who was a poet. He was a singer. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. Mm. He was a king. He was a on and on it goes. He was a failure. He was mm. a loser. He was a sinner. Mm -hmm. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah worshiper, yeah. songwriter. Mm. Yeah, poet. Yeah. yeah, all of those things. All yeah. of those things you yeah. are. Multifaceted guy. How do we access that? How do we get? How do we get this series? Oh, uh, you, uh, you just uh, you can go on. I think it's selaministries.com. Sela, like the word in the Psalms, mm. S-E-L-A-H, or you can go rayhughes.org. And what, what, how it works is like this. I've done, you know, like 38 years of study and research in, in regards to creativity and, and, and uh, worship and musicology and studying these cultures and revival cultures and all that. So I have numerous series of teachings. Some of them are 24 CDs on this or that, the minstrel series, the Tabernacle of David, yeah. then and now, all of these series. We put them all in one bundle with the new series, which we don't know if it's going to, I'm going to do 33-part series or 52. Because uh, it really is that wonderful and yeah. that deep and that yeah. multi-layered. Mm. So right now, I'm, uh, I'm working on another 10 series right now. Right. When I get home, I'll record when them. When you get home. And, yeah. uh, so, uh, and the way we're doing it is, is everything I've done in 38 years for $12 a month. Mm. It's a subscription, yep. and there's enough teaching already on my books, uh, the CDs, everything that's there. It's just, you know, it's a subscription-based thing. Fantastic. So, yeah. Well, I encourage everyone listening to check that out, and it's been a real privilege talking to you, Ray. Thank you for spending the time. I mean, you got off the plane just a couple of days ago. You've had meetings, wall-to-wall -wall meetings. Yeah. I think you deserve a bit of a break this afternoon or later, later this evening. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thank, you. thank you so much for spending the time chatting to us and being part of this Hidden Kingdom series. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dave. Wow. I found that really inspirational, talking to Ray. We caught something of his heart. We caught something of his appreciation for the book of Psalms and we caught something of his vision for worship, that it's an ongoing dynamic thing 
encompassing a whole array of different expressions. And really, you know, that's what this Hidden Kingdom podcast series is all about. That I'll be talking to people with a variety of different gifts and different ways of seeing things, but with an aim to inspire us into greater levels of, of creativity. I hope you're going to stay with us as, as this series unfolds. And I'm going to finish uh, this edition with this song that speaks about the loving kindness, the foundation of our worship, to know that God is for us, he's not against us, and his loving kindness, as the psalmist says, is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than your loving kindness is better than life Your loving kindness is better than life New every morning, whatever I feel There is infinite mercy and grace Your loving kindness is better than life Your loving kindness is better than life When I'm in the valley of doubt and 